Hey, welcome back to My Town, Season 2. I'm so excited to be joined this afternoon with one of my Christian brothers and friends, mentor, teacher, professor, uh, novelist. There's so many descriptors for Dr. Lee C. Camp. Um, Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stan. It's great to see you. Uh, I know a lot of people have heard your name, especially at Hendersonville, uh, from your books and things I've referenced and quoted you in sermons and, and class lessons and things that I learned underneath you at Lipscomb. So it's nice for them to see your face and to hear some of the things you're doing. And as I, as I was mentioning to you ahead of time, ahead of the recording, uh, season two of My Town is all about kingdom initiatives. So we've been interviewing people who don't just do the quote unquote church thing on Sundays and Wednesdays, but they found some way to bring the meta narrative and the master story into daily life and everything that they do. And so you've been at the top of the list for a while, uh, not only as a professor at Lipscomb in the Hazlip School of Theology, but, you know, the token shows that I've taken a lot of people to and introduced them uh, from both, you know, former congregation and this one and just random friends and the podcast that you started. I don't know how you have time to do all this stuff, but you started the podcast as well, which I often listen to while I mow the yard. And then um, the, the radio program on Sunday afternoons at two o'clock that's live. And so uh, any of those things or something that I failed to mention, uh, we'd love to hear more about. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I definitely have had a great deal of fun doing all of those things. And um, I think that one of the kind of things that's been helpful to me in thinking about vocation and intersecting with your framing of it in terms of kingdom um, is, and I'm sure you heard me say this in, in some of our classes, but, you know, I love the, I love the quote from Irenaeus, second century, who said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And I, I think that's a beautiful snapshot of this invitation to a life that gets to be full and fun and challenging and hard work and great joy. And so all of a sudden, that sort of vision of saying what it means to be the glory of God is to be fully alive means that every aspect of my life comes under that heading. And so um, I try, you know, I try to, I, I think it's incumbent upon me as someone who has professed the faith I profess, even though I know in many ways I don't live it well, is to keep asking that question of how, do, how, do, how does every aspect of my life feed into, participate in, being fully alive, and thus participating in the kingdom of God. And so I think that, that fits as well as with hobbies as it does with our work, as our family life, as our church attendance, and so forth, all of those things together. Okay, now this is this is this is a little awkward for me because the roles have reversed a little bit for the first <laughs> time. But I'm not going to let you get away with you don't do it well. Uh, I, I disagree. So um, all of us obviously fall short of the glory of God, as as Paul tells us. But you know, when I think about all the things I have retained uh, specifically from you, you know, I remember. Um, I don't know how much of this you want to go in, but we're gonna we're gonna we're going to unfold a little bit of this or peel the onion back a little bit. I remember how your, your preaching career uh, ended when you told us about that. Um, and now you're an elder at Otter Creek, right? You're a professor at Lipscomb. And I, like I said, at the beginning of this, I don't know how you, 
I don't know how you manage your time to do all the things you do and still work things in like this interview because you're a very, very busy man. Um, and I would say that, yes, we all have our personal demons and our personal challenges, which I'm sure that, you know, a lot of us, except for our closest friends and our spiritual directors, probably <laughs> are not uh, discussed uh, amongst people. Um, but I, I see in you a exemplar of kingdom initiatives and a very gracious way of extending the invitation to an alternative way of living in the world. Um, I, I've never heard you do anything like, you know, well, you're just flat wrong or you have to see at least see camps way or the highway. Um, and I, and I see how you do that with musicians at the token show. I see how you do that with how you put forth your, your, uh, your theses in your book, um, your most recent book, and you let people have space to discuss. So you, you cannot self-criticize yourself. And say that you, don't, <laughs> that you don't do that well. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate, I, I receive that, uh, with thanks and uh, appreciation. Um, and so, yeah, so let me, let me come back to some of the, some of the stuff that you just said. And I think that what you're pointing to is really helpful and really important in the sense that I think the more we can construe what it means to be a participant in the kingdom of God or a, an adherent to the great Christian tradition or practicing Christian discipleship, whatever language people might prefer there. I think the more we can construe that in terms of a journey in which we're not afraid to journey alongside whoever happens to be around us at the moment, um, the more I find that helpful. And so, so um, I, I guess what I'm saying is that I mean, if you, if you look at Jesus, you know, it's, it's remarkable that even among the 12, you know, many people, this is not new to me, but many people have noted this. You've got, you've got somebody who is a far right, right wing type uh, that represented imperialistic power in a tax collector, right? He's, he's the, he's from, from the people on the left, Jesus has an imperialist pig in his crowd. And then from the people on the right, he's got a, um, you know, you know, a neo-fascist, um, violent rebel in, in somebody like a zealot. And so to have this sort of capacity that Jesus had to welcome people and to, obviously what he's doing is he's trying to call all of us into a new way of living that he believes to be a source of true life. And so the more I think we can tra learn the skills of traveling along with one another, and of course the difference between us and Jesus is that we, we must never assume that we're the Messiah, which always means that we always must assume that we might be wrong. And so it's not, the, the less I can construe myself as the master teaching other people, right? And instead envision myself as a co-participant in all of this, along with other people, that I have things to share, they have things to share, and I may learn. I may learn things from people who have altogether not participated in, or accepted Christian faith, or received Christian faith. Um, I can learn things from them just as much, right? And um, while also holding on to this claim that Christian faith, 
as, as you know, seems to me to be the most compelling, the most beautiful, the most gracious way of living possible. And so, so I, so I receive, I, I receive what you, you said there, both with appreciation and also pointing us towards this larger picture of what it means to be this kind of person is that we, um, we can just relax, I think, and stop thinking that we have to be so uptight and let go of our need for self-righteousness and um, accept that we're all in this together and that um, to, to look for people of goodwill with whom we travel this road of life, um, that to me seems to be a pretty wonderful way to get to live. Yeah, so I know this is totally unscripted and the spirit is just guiding us, but I heard I heard two things and let's see if let's see if you agree that they glue together. One okay. is I heard truth in what you said. Uh, not not biblical truth versus some other type of truth, but just master level truth. And I think about I'm currently in a PhD program and one of my professors uh, said just last week, he said, you know, let's understand that when we're doing PhD work. We are coming together not to defend our positions or to strengthen our opinions, but to seek truth. And that means we have to be pliable and respect each other when we disagree, because that's the only way we're going to learn. Right. And then he went on to say, oftentimes I learn more from you guys than you learn from me. And he writes books and says with, with you know, our permission, he, he actually uh, quotes us or puts the uh, genesis of an idea came from one of his students. And I was thinking while you were saying that, all of that, plus knowing you as a friend and, and personally, maybe this goes together. You kind of had at one time in your life, like me and a lot of other people, that narrow view of what a minister is, right? Like you, you preach on Sunday, you teach classes, and, and people come to you when they're ready to talk about those biblical truths or, or scriptural items. But then you almost kind of have this dualistic or compartmentalized the rest of your life. And these kingdom initiatives that we're talking with people about are showing how that, that dichotomy has been broken down and that we're ministers all the time. Second uh, Corinthians five, 17 through 20. I mean, basically that's what Paul says. You're an ambassador and it's as if God is making his plea right. through you. So when I watch you get a group of musicians together and go to what you guys call the mother church at the ramen, whew, I mean, it becomes more of a worship service than some of the worship services that I've attended. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I mean, let's go back first to that notion of truth, right? So, um, you know, one of the things that our, our brothers and sisters in the reformed tradition are often keen to say is that all, all truth is God's truth. Hmm. And so, um, it doesn't matter who discovers it and who articulates it. You know, if, if, if it's true, it's good. And, you know, you've got that, that old uh, Trinity going back. I don't know how far this goes back. If it goes back to the poets or who I know um, Emily Dickinson at least has a famous poem about this, but um, you know, be beauty, truth, and goodness, they're all three of one. Um, and when you have something that's beautiful or you have something that's true, or you have something that's good, I think we ought to be able to celebrate that regardless of who's pointing us to that. And I think again, that that's a liberating sort of posture for us to have. And it, and it makes it rather than having to be a, you know, a defensive sort of posture, I've got this, 
instead it's a much more open-handed hospitable posture mm. that um, it's also much more again i feel like i'm repeating myself about this but it's just a much more enjoyable way to live uh, because you never do know when you're going to discover every day something new true beautiful or good um, and yeah i think that this notion of seeing ourselves always as ambassadors um, is helpful and important as well. And as you, you know, as you said, Paul, the apostle Paul points to that as indispensable for thinking about our role. And that is one of the things, you know, years ago, um, but for, you know, token shows are not, they're not church because, uh, in my mind, a church community has a sort of disciplined nature that other ventures don't. So, so in other words, by, by discipline, I mean, um, there's a sort of assumption, for example, that in my church commitments in my church community that I subscribe to certain basics, like the things described in the apostles creed, for example, or that I've participated in Christian baptism, or that I regularly participate in the Eucharist, and that I'm submitted, and there's a mutual submission between us where the, the, fr- the friends who, are, who I'm alongside and who are alongside me in my church community, we have not only a right, but an obligation to speak into one another's lives in a way that helps us get to the direction we say we want to go. And we welcome that, and we participate in this. So, but that's what I mean by a disciplined community. Whereas, you know, something like a university or something like uh, a token show or other ventures, they don't necessarily have that same sort of disciplined nature. But so then what, well, how might we describe it? And so the way I think of what we're doing with something like tokens is that I still see it as central to my Christian vocation, but it's a different sort of thing than the kind of ministry I would do in a church context. Um, but I do think of it as a ministry because it's we're trying to set before people tokens of beauty, truth, and goodness that can then that might allow them to have new ways of living that lead them on towards their own beauty, truth, and goodness that lead them on toward their own sort of liberation in their lives. So, for example, you know, one of my favorite stories about tokens is that I'll, I'll say I'll share two about this. You know, early on maybe a second year, we started in 2008. So this may be 2009, 2010. A friend of mine who has a, a very successful studio in Berry Hill, he had come to the show. And after the show, I, I saw him down at the foot of the stage talking to the band members. And, you know, he knows all these guys because he, he works with these guys in studio sessions and so forth. And I went over to him. He's a really big guy, a real tall guy. And I, and I came over to him and he had tears, tears in his eyes and kind of ran down his cheeks. And he said, he said, uh, he said, you know, I do this for a living, the music stuff. And he said, but this is different. And he said, thank you. And that meant so much to me because um, it's how can we do stuff in a way that's not preachy, that's not moralistic, that's not self-righteous, that points towards something that's beautiful, true and good in a way that's compelling rather than beat people over the head with a, a related story to that. Um, we started doing the right, the annual Ryman show, I think in, into 2010. 
and maybe, I don't know, 2012 or 13, one of my students was there at the show and, and he told me that he was sitting by this lady and they got started talking about, you know, talking about each other, you know, their lives and so forth. And he said that um, this, he asked this, maybe she asked him, where do you go to church? And he told her and he said, where do you go to church? And she said, oh, I don't ever go to, I don't go to church. She said, but I come to this show anytime I can. And I love that, you know, I, I would, I would wish that she could find a, a lovely, beautiful, uh, wonderful church community. Um, but I was so grateful that she found something of nourishment in this sort of arrangement. And so it's this sort of, when you put a lot of very wonderful people together, talented people together who are trying to, again, trying to do something beautiful, true, and good, a lot of wonderful things can happen out of that. So we know each other well enough and you've graded enough of my stuff to know how my mind works. Uh, I got, I got an image while you were talking of like a garden and the garden has purpose, purposeful structure, right? You've got yes. rows and they're nice and straight and you've got the little sticks at the end that have the little package on them that say, these are the beans and this is the corn and this is the tomatoes and this is whatever. And while you were talking, I saw that and, and, and kind of heard loudly, okay, that's that disciplined community you were talking about that speaks into each other's lives and kind of guides going towards a particular direction. And then I saw, you know, just like wildly sown, dispersed wildflowers that wherever the seeds fall, they pop up. Huh. And that's kind of what came up in my mind as token show. Like you're huh. not claiming that it's the church. I hear you loud and clear. Yeah. And we're not saying that it's an equal substitution, therefore, of that. Right. On the other hand, we're saying that it's a gracious, open-handed offering of a reflection of the kingdom. And, and that lady's quote saying, I go there as often as I can, is like enjoying the wildflowers that seem to have no rhyme or reason. They're just kind of like haphazardly yeah. scattered around. Right. But they point back to the same thing that a garden would do with purpose. Right. right. That's right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I like that. I like that, that metaphor. Um, and, um, you know, I, I have, I have repeatedly gone back to the agrarian metaphors that you get in the new Testament. They're, they're, they're a lot. Jesus uses them. The apostle Paul uses them. And, um, and I think that that metaphor is terribly helpful because, you know, it holds together, or you think, for example, about in Galatians 5, where you got the fruit of the Spirit, right? So the the whole point of the fruit of the Spirit is that you can't manufacture it. You know, you can't, you can't follow a recipe and get it at the end of the cooking. It's a gift. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Um, at the same time, he has there, um, fruit is itself an agrarian metaphor. And fruit is something that is cultivated. It's something that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of discipline. And so I find that terribly helpful, right? Because I, I feel like um, the, the legalists and the moralists and the self-righteous ones, our, our sin over there, our failing over there is to think, we can do this, we can simply do this. And if you just use your willpower, you can make this stuff happen and if you, if you haven't made it happen, then there's something wrong with your willpower. And clearly, the Apostle Paul thinks that that's foolish. 
On the other hand, you can you can go to this other side and say, well, it's all grace. There's nothing, you know, I don't, I don't have anything to do with it. There's absolutely, it doesn't matter. And I was listening to, I was listening to a, someone who was raised in our tradition, and in these days, he's a Lutheran. And, uh, and I see why she loves Luther and his emphasis upon grace. But at the same time, I heard her saying things like, it doesn't matter if you exercise. It doesn't matter if you go to the gym. It doesn't matter if you do X, Y, or Z. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm kind of cussing to myself, and I think, it absolutely does. Yes, it does. Don't tell people it doesn't matter. Um, because if you want to be depressed and open to mental illness, then sit on your couch all day long and watch TV and don't get up and play video games all the time and don't ever get exercise and don't eat right. And next thing you know, you'll have a world-class depression and you'll be in a mess. So it's like, how do we hold those two together, Right. And that's what I think Paul does with the agrarian metaphors is that it's the fruit of the spirit. It's, it's the gift of God, period. But it's the gift of God that's cultivated and that requires us to, to consent to the work of God in our lives. And, um, and then it can be a, be, be a beautiful sort of thing. And so then going back to your kind of two different agrarian, you know, the, the garden, the, the, the rose of the garden and the wildflowers. Um, yeah, I'll have to think about that as, as comparing church to something like a token show, but I, I like that. Um, I do think that the, I'll push back on it in this way, though. I think that one of the things that I see among like world-class musicians who are on those stages that I get to be on the stage with, they know that um, they only have the freedom to do what they do because they have disciplined themselves and committed themselves to that work for decades. And because they have committed themselves to that work for decades, they have a freedom and a liberty that mere human mortals do not have. You know, it's just amazing to watch what they can do. And they can, as one, as a a, a vocal, a performer here in town said one day about our token show band because a lot of them are just kind of world-class musicians she said she 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 described it as the ease with which that band can drop into flow state and i thought that's a that's a great description of what they're able to do and they can come together and there's something that's beautiful and wonderful that comes out of their coming together but it's not just them showing up not caring about their craft it's that they've given their lives to this craft um and because they've given their lives to this craft they can do truly beautiful things out of that. And that's, I will, I'll, the last thing I'll say about that is I'll oftentimes tell them um, before we do a show that I hope they will not forget the gift it is that they give to people who are at those shows because they are doing something that is truly good and beautiful that moves people in powerful ways. Um, and again, because of this many, many years of giving themselves to that kind of craft. Yeah, I really like that. You you read my mind because just to just to clarify a little bit, I was yeah. going to ask you about virtue tradition and yeah, yeah. the idea of Christian formation and continued transformation that we that we seek our entire life, which you loosely referenced by having right. by having a uh, community that can speak into each other's lives and all going towards the same goal, right? Yeah. Um, and I see what you're saying. I mean, and, and I guess what I was thinking with the wildflowers was just kind of more of a planting seeds wherever you go. Right. And wherever they happen to fall, 
there will be beauty that gets produced compared yeah. to a purposeful something, which you've eloquently said with you, with the musicians. And if you could, I mean, I, I was planning on that kind of being our last thing anyway, because I told you I'd, I'd, I'd honor your time. Um, I sat in your class and that was, that was uh, McIntyre, right? Right. And you were explaining to us, and maybe, maybe for the, the group here listening that hasn't had a blessing of reading that book, um, maybe you could just really quickly encapsulate the idea of what it means to know how to play an instrument versus having the freedom to solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Alistair McIntyre, great late 20th century, early 21st century philosopher, uh, Scottish by birth, has worked um, at Vanderbilt, Duke, Notre Dame on a couple of different occasions now, it's back at Notre Dame. Um, but his book, After Virtue, was kind of a groundbreaking work in that he insisted that what's happened since the, the Enlightenment with regard to ethics is that all of our morality is legalistic. And so that's whether it's a, a supposedly progressive ethic or a, or a conservative ethic. He said they're all legalistic. And what he means by that is that people set up these rules for the sake of rules without knowing the purpose for which those rules or those practices are in our, are, are supposedly have authority. And so the idea there is that going back to somebody like Aristotle, who's been significant in the Christian tradition, especially mediated through Aquinas, is that in the, in the virtue traditions, you have three major pieces in any moral framework. You have humankind as it is in its untutored state. You have humankind as it could be if it realizes its essential nature, if it realizes it's what the technical term is, its telos, its purpose, its goal. And then there are these more morality, there's rules or principles or what the virtue tradition calls virtues, which are skills, habits, or dispositions that allow you to go from here to go to here. And so the idea there is that if you have a clear sense of who you're trying to be or what kind of person or what kind of community we're striving to be, and you know you're not there, then the question is, well, what kind of practices can get us there? And so in other words, morality in the ancient traditions is always inseparable from a goal or the purpose of the kind of people you're trying to be, which is a pretty brilliant kind of way of thinking about it, right? So going back, so Aristotle uses the example of the musician, and he says, you know, the, uh, the musician has to learn sort, sort certain practical skills that allow the musician to go from an untutored musician to a skilled musician, and they have to submit to certain authorities, certain discipline, certain work, and, and that it becomes a part of who the person is. So, you know, the neuroscientists would say basically what you're doing, you're wiring synapses so that this can become something that you even find joy in. And so in, in the virtue tradition, one, one is never sufficiently formed morally unless one finds joy in doing what is good and joy in doing what's true. So this is really interesting. I'll, I'll go do a quick aside on this. I just learned this recently. I, I saw this noted recently by a Catholic philosopher who said it's, it's been the Protestants who have thought something is more moral or morally superior if it's hard for you to do. But he said in the Catholic tradition and the virtue traditions, it's more morally superior if it becomes easy for you to do and joyous for you to do. Um, so think about something like, you know, forgiveness, right? So, and we know this, if we'll think about it, you know, intuitively, 
if someone is gritting their teeth and doing the hard thing of forgiving, we know that person is not as sufficiently morally formed as someone who can look at a wrong, acknowledge it is truly wrong, acknowledge the hurt, acknowledge their own hurt, acknowledge the hurt of people who've been hurt by this, and then choose in joy in time to forgive without gritting their teeth, right? So that's a picture of the, of the, of the virtue tradition. So go back to the, to the musician is that when, when the musician is able to submit themselves to a lifetime of this stuff, all, the, all of a sudden they become able to do this stuff that's amazing, right? Because they've submitted to a lifetime of discipline. In other words, and here's the last thing I'll say about it that you were pointing to there, um, this is a completely different vision of human freedom. What's happened in, since the Enlightenment is we think freedom is let me do whatever I want to do. And the ancients would have looked at that and said, you're crazy. That's not freedom. That's bondage to your own self-will. That freedom is having been submitted to practicing what is good and true and beautiful. And then you become the kind of person that has a freedom that other people do not have. You can live in these joyous ways that other people cannot live in because they've learned that freedom is not me doing whatever it is I want to do. Freedom is learning how to do what is good and true and beautiful well, even with joy. Mm. Isn't that great stuff? That is awesome stuff. And we just get to inherit all that stuff and learn from it and learn how to practice it. So it's, it's, it's be, I'm so grateful that I got introduced to that way of thinking about um, morality and, and, and ethics um, by people who have thought long and hard about all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and when you distill all of that down, it makes total sense, right? Because yeah. it's like saying, I want to be a professional whatever, but in this case, a musician but I never intend to practice. I just want to show up one day and just right. be a professional. And everybody yeah. who's watching this, would, well, that, that's totally ridiculous. Nobody, right. could, nobody could not practice and just show up and be a pro. Yeah. And yet there's a lot of us here in the time between the times that kind of seem to do that. Yeah. Uh, almost as pushing everything off to one day there'll be a finish line. And when I cross it, it'll be a light switch and I'll just become the person that I was always meant to be without ever yeah. having to, practice becoming that person. So yeah. I really, really, really appreciate you doing that. And I think that will resonate with a lot of people watching this. Yeah. And, uh, well, I appreciate the invitation to talk. Yeah. Hello to everyone. Yeah. We would love for everybody to come join us on the podcast. It's um, if you go to tokensshow.com, you can find the link to the podcast and uh, we get to talk to a lot of different people about uh, all this. We talk about everything from, um, politics to the episode that came out today was on shame and vulnerability to um, American evangelicalism to uh, social justice and peacemaking and mercy and forgiveness. And it's, uh, it's been great fun. And we'd love for um, more folks there at Hendersonville to join us in that. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll drop those links in the great. In the video Thank you. And I, and I logo for tokens and see if we can get some people to check it out. Thanks. And, uh, Thanks so much for joining me. If you don't mind, I'm going to pray a blessing over you. To thank you. Father, thank you so much for Dr. Lee C. Camp and how you've made him, who he is still becoming, and how he represents you so well in all that he does and all the people that you place in his path and all the places that he goes, whether that be in a, a house of worship um, or at the Ryman or through the pages of a book, or even in gliders soaring above the 
surface of the earth contemplating you and how beautiful your creation is that you've made. Um, I ask that you just bless him and that you send him out reassuring him that he's a beloved child of yours and that he represents you well in all that he does and says. And again, thank you so much for him blessing my life and the lives of those that have gotten to listen to him today. We ask all this through the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.